0: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. I'm Phil Kirkbride and today joined by Dave Prentice, Chris Beasley and Paul Wheelock as we chew the fat over the major talking points at Goodison as we are in the middle of this 17 day enforced break from the action. But... As ever, plenty to talk about and sift through. Uh, We'll be discussing stadium, obviously a couple of fairly significant stadium stories this week and I'll be asking the panel if Everton are now talking more confidently and less cautiously about a move to Bramley Moor Dock as the weeks progress. Just before we sat down to record this podcast, Idrissa Guy, has um, quotes from him have been merged from France, so we'll be discussing that. Uh, we'll be talking about Tommy Gravison. obviously I'm sure you're aware, a book about Tommy's wild, wonderful and weird mm. career in life uh, has been published and released today, so we'll be talking about that. And something many of you have been reading uh, today, uh, we did a big piece on Henry Onikuru and I'll be asking the panel whether they think he's worth a go next season. Um Preno, we'll start with Bramley Moor Dock and the stadium. The two things that I refer to are the results of the first part of the public consultation, which came back very positively, um, overwhelming support from the city uh, for Everton's move to the waterfront. And the second one was the announcement of an extension, a new deal with retail partner Fanatics. But the significance being that the club spoke about that deal extending to Bramley Moor and the creation of a world-class retail space mega store in mm. old money uh, at the new ground do you do you feel the club are very slowly softening that that understandably cautious um, approach and wording about the stadium because of previous projects have fallen fallen down and, and you know do you think now are they talking more confidently are you more confident
1: that this will happen to, to be honest I, I've always been relatively confident uh, just because of what we've heard from people at the club, you know, behind the scenes, uh, you know, the mood music has always been quite optimistic, even if what they're publicly saying wasn't. Um, And the public consultation is the latest step in that direction. And I know, you know, to most people, it's so well, public consultation, of course, people are going to say they want it. But the club were very, very nervous and very, very apprehensive about that procedure. Um, you know, public consultations don't always go well. Uh, I remember speaking to somebody at the club about. Um, I think it was when the, uh, the the Isle of Man ferries went out to public consultation, and thirty six people responded. So you haven't misheard uh, that, that is, yeah, thirty six. On, on, on this one, we got more than twenty <clears> thousand, and uh, there was understandable nervousness as well. That clearly, you know, the, the vast swell of Evertonians are going to say they're in favour of it, but they were concerned that the general public at large, and you know, maybe football fans from across the park. You know, so I might not have been quite so enthusiastic. Uh, but the percentage of people that declared non allegiance to Everton was also very, very significant, you know, so sort of very, very in favour of the stadium. So they're obviously very pleased with the results that they got back. And so as a result, they are talking a little bit more confidently about it. They're not going overboard. I don't think they will. We're not gonna hear, you know, sort of bullish statements about yes, we'll have it up by you know such and such a date. Uh, but everything appears to be going in the right direction. And I still hear cynical noises from people, you know, me Liverpool made. To telling me, nah, no chance, you know, it's never going to happen. Uh, I've never heard that once, you know, sort of from Everton, people at Everton, people in influence at Everton. Uh, and I think I can understand why they're starting to just slightly get a little bit more confident about it. I don't think they're going to be shouting from the rooftops anytime soon, but, you know, they're moving in the right direction. And it's heartening, hmm. very heartening. Bees, you, you, I always seem to talk to you about the failed projects and, <laughs> and, and having lived
0: through through, yeah. through them all. And, and, and But are you... Confident, uh, you know, especially given what the, yeah. you know what's coming out of the football club, and
2: I, I think you, I think you've got to be because without being too bleak, what's the alternative? Um, I would dread to think if this didn't happen, whatever where Everton would go from there. But being more positive, um, <laughs> that's a fair point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because in the early noughties Everton were all set for a Riverside move. Um, the Merseyside waterfront what for the last decade has been the Echo Arena of course would have been Everton's home it seemed like a chance in a lifetime opportunity and it was feared that was a chance in a lifetime opportunity which was missed so to get something like this so relatively soon you know 15 years on um it, it, it's 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 really exciting and and why shouldn't Everton have this and, and everyone else in the Premier League who has needed a new stadium has more or less got that now Tottenham are going to get theirs now um you could argue whether Chelsea need one or not but you know they've got plans to rebuild at Stamford Bridge but everyone really who were in a similar boat to Everton who needed a new stadium has more or less got one now so why not Everton I would say this time it everything seems to have been done differently in the past those images were out the images were out for Kirby images were out for King's Dock even Peter Johnson's one where they Location wasn't even specified. It's like they've done things the other way around this time and have been ultra-cautious, but hopefully they'll reap those rewards for the the diligence they've shown this time around.
0: Rilo, again, same question. Uh, How confident are you that this now will happen and and how much have you been encouraged by what, what is coming out of the football club?
3: Listening to you guys and what you've been saying for a long time now it does give me that confidence i'm not gonna lie there's always a little cynical part of my brain somewhere like going mean, I'll, I'll believe it when i'm actually sat in Bramley Moor dock but i but i'm encouraged by the process you know I, I every kind of step of the consultation so far it doesn't look like the club are leaving any stone unturned and i don't see the i don't see the need for impatience or panic or rush with this because this is an actual real crucial juncture in the the club's history. And I think Gav said it could be like the most crucial Mm. part in the club's history. So I I quite like it that they've been cautious because this is such an important step. Uh, And probably the example of Tottenham, really, you know, how many times this season we heard different dates of when they're going to move in and and things like that. It's it's proven that this isn't going to be easy. Mm. So I'm quite happy for the club to take it, the softly, softly approach. But I'm I'm really encouraged by what I'm hearing. But how much...
0: Are you looking forward to actually, you know, like as B's as B's reference we've seen designs before but the next the second stage of the public public yeah. consultation in the summer yeah, planning. will yeah. will involve designs and we will see, you know, designs for the first time. I mean,
1: do you are you still a buzz about that? Oh, you- I can't wait. Can't wait. I mean, uh, there's there's been tentative nods towards designs and you know the presentations that uh, Dan mice made, you know, at the uh, St Luke's Church. Um, but nothing, you know, formally you know, encompassing like, you know, a stadium plan. And it's hard to, long enough now to absorb You know, so all the ideas that have been put to him, all the messages, you know, the fans have been canvassed, you know, so in great numbers and told what they want. So I think they've got a pretty shrewd idea now of, um, you know, so what Evertonians want and what will make a really good stadium. We've been told so many times it's got to be, you know, the crowd on top of the pitch. It's Mm. got to be soaring stands. It's got to be something with a little bit of character and a little bit of history, little nods to Archibald Leach in there. There's like loads of little, you know, so ideas that have been planted, little seeds that have been planted. And you get the impression that Dan Mice, or Misa than how you pronounce his name exactly gets it you know so he's almost thinking like a blue these days and he knows what you know. Evertonians want. so yeah I'm very excited uh, no doubt you know the plans when they're announced won't please everybody there'll, there'll be something in there that somebody will no doubt uh, raise objections to but I think that they've been so long in canvassing opinion and they've got the ideas of everybody on board that I think we can have relative confidence that will be quite exciting I, I can't wait you know, I'm really looking forward to them yeah
0: but he's just on on Dan actually, and, yeah. and, and and it was last week when we when we picked this up. And, and just for those people listening who, who perhaps didn't see the story, Dan's other project, if you like, at the minute um, in Italy mm-hmm. uh, has, has received a boost recently. But there's actually similarities in terms of size, and maybe we say maybe maybe the look as well. If people want to check
2: that out, um, yeah, I, I imagine the Everton design will look a lot different than the Roma design but there are certainly quite a few parallels uh, mainly that um, it's uh, 52,000 capacity with scope to increase to 60,000 so it's, it's more or less the same size as what the plans are for Bramley Moor dock uh, proposals I should say um, and it's also obviously uh, an I- iconic Riverside um, site on the, the banks of the, the Tiber, no less. In, Sounds it, to me, it, be no. it's like an echo recce, this. <laughs> <laughs> <So, laughs> Prenno? <Yeah. laughs> just think about it. <laughs> sorry, sorry yeah, on. yeah. <laughs> and it's been, and, and, and like evidence it's not come quickly. It's taken mm-hmm. a few years, I think. It, it's, uh, it's been, it's maybe been, about four yeah, years. It's been a bit of red tape,
0: it feels. Is that a correct assessment?
2: Um, or? Yeah, there's, uh, been, there's been a lot of objections. I'm not too sure what the... Um, I think it's over um, both um, the, the funding and uh, the uh, infrastructure around the stadium. There's been various things, but it was last week the, the mayor of Rome finally gave it the, the green light. So it's not been easy and um, there's a lot of similarities to, to um, um, the Everton situation. But I think what Dan himself has, has said, obviously, um, it's um, it's very much for what Roma want and what Everton want would be entirely different um, it's based in in many ways on the old classical the, the Colosseum, mm-hmm. this um, sort of a bowl which is this, this prevalent style in, it, in Italy whereas you'd imagine like um, Dave said Everton's would be uh, rather different it'd be the the four sides, whether that's obviously you got the, the corners as well, but it's not going to be ball shaped. I don't, I don't think, and it will have those those steep um, stands and uh, close to the pitch. So, I imagine it will look very different. But overall, in terms of the size of the project and the location, there are, there are a lot of similarities. Well, just last
0: one on, on the of How important is it for the club, as as Chris alluded to anyway uh, earlier? How important is it for the club to finally make this move? When you consider that this week Sasha Ryazantsev, board member has said that the challenge is for the club to reduce their reliance on the broadcast money, which is obviously a huge part. I think it's something like 69% of of turnover. Uh, And that comes from two things. Commercial, which we know the club are are trying to improve, and he said a new stadium. So how important, therefore, is it, amongst other things, for the future of the football club?
3: Hopefully it would be a game changer in a way, because when uh, Farhad Mishiri came in, we were probably all hoping that he could bankroll all the way into the top four and it's certainly proven in these last few years it's not that straightforward yeah. is it and a lot depends on your player recruitment and it does seem now with Marcel Brenton there we're going to have to box a little bit smarter than what we've been doing so maybe this the stadium can give Everton a bit of an extra edge I thought it was really interesting what you were saying there about like the mega store because I think it's something that maybe Everton have lacked a little, you know, in terms of you guys are no better than me in terms of like the, the commercial side of things. I think you said it yourself then they've, they've got a little work, bit of work to do. I just think it's, I, it, I just, I'm really excited by the, this the everything about it, because mm. to go off on tangent a bit, one of my favorite stadiums in the world is the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff. Right. Just that, the fact that it's in the city center and I know this is a little bit outside yeah. of this, the center, but I just think it's just endless, the possibilities about it. And it's, and certainly from a, a revenue stream uh arguments you can imagine that it could really open up stuff for the club
0: Absolutely um, Willow there for uh, there mentioned uh, player recruitment and um, we're going to jump uh, down the agenda actually a little bit and talk about Henry Onyakuru uh, Everton are growing increasingly hopeful that he will be able to get a work permit this summer uh, playing for Galatasaray in the Champions League and last night in the Europa League plus he's creeping into the Nigerian setup. Um Preno signed in the summer of 2017, the record summer of spending, yeah. but one that perhaps lacked that clear strategy that we now hopefully have with Marcel. Um, is Onyokuru worth a go? He's, an un- he's the mystery man, isn't he? Ian?
1: Well, we've only seen like, uh, YouTube clips of you know goals and fairly dodgy celebrations um, <laughs> from, uh, from his time in Galatasaray. Certainly, I know Belgium he had uh, issues with injury. Uh, so I don't really know a great deal about him, I have to say. Well, that's but the thing, isn't it? Yeah. The, the good thing is that Everton clearly do. I know, you know, so the piece that you've done this week, you know, Marcel Brands indicated that the, uh, the club have been watching him quite, you know meticulously, um, if not in person, every week. You know, so certainly, you know, sort of videos and tapes of the game. I think, you know, they've seen him a dozen times this season. They're clearly aware of what he's doing. And the fact that they are now quite confident about getting a work permit suggests that they think he's, you know, got a part to play mm. in the club's future. It just, um, I'm not quite sure where he would fit in immediately. Because for me... You know, to use a bit of an old-fashioned phrase, he looks like an inside forward to me, rather than a, the out-and-out out centre forward that we clearly need at the moment. As a matter of some, you know, top-quality centre forward that we need as a matter of some urgency. Uh, you know, he looks, you know, more like the kind of, you know, role that, you know, some maybe Calvert-Lewin, maybe Richarlison, you know, sort of being playing someone that cuts in from the flanks. But you know, right side, Adam ola Luckman hasn't made it his own. Theo Walcott certainly hasn't. You know, so who knows? But that, that's all for the future. The fact is, he's a young lad who's uh, progressed quite significantly. The club have been keeping tabs on him and like what they see. So, you know, fingers crossed things will happen, you know, sooner rather than later because the work permit has been a big issue. And I know in the past I've suggested I uh, didn't have total confidence in ever seeing him in a blue shirt. Uh, sounds like, you know, sort of people in, you know, influence at Everton are quite confident that won't be the case any longer. So, fingers crossed, we'll see. But, you know, whether he's going to be, you know, some absolute sparkling talent, we'll have to wait and see how much do you think how oh, sorry, how big do you think that the gap is
0: between scoring 22 goals in Belgium's top flight and then going to Turkey and scoring sort of around I think he's got less than 10 this season to, to come into the Premier League? You know I'm thinking of, of, you know thinking recent examples maybe would, would on yeah. both sides of that argument, but I imagine people would initially think, well Tosin was was well, yeah. the main man in Turkey and, and he struggled. Do you have concerns about that, or do you think we've yeah. just got to give
2: him a go anyway? Yeah, well, let's be uh, let's be brutal about it. It's, it's it's huge. The gap's huge, isn't it? It's um, you know, t- Turkish league is, is is decent, but it's sort of probably middle ranking, and the better players tend to be there either before or after a stint in the Premier League. Um, um, it the problem I see has been it's so crowded in that in that area for Everton. Dave's mentioned now, you know, Rashardson, Walcott, Bernard, um, Luckman, they're all vying for places and I suppose other than Richarlison, no, none of them have entirely covered themselves in, in glory at times, so... Maybe there's an option there um, if, if he's over on, on the other flank. Um, I think if you know if, if Everton are going to sign the players, they did two, two summers ago, well, they obviously see something about him and you, you've got to give him a chance at, at some point, but it's just so congested in there. Can he make that place his own? Well, he, he can only be given, given a chance, obviously the potential, whether Vlasic comes back or not, another similar sort of player. Of course, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's almost like an embarrassment of riches. I mean, without necessarily having the quality, there's there's the quantity certainly yes. within the squad squad there of, of options so but you know without being given a chance we'll, we'll never know
0: well, you know obviously Onyakuru will have been encouraged no doubt to learn that, that Everton through Marcel and his recruitment team have watched him 12 times this season and Marco saying yeah I'm keeping an eye on him but is he also going to have to be very mindful of the fact that he was signed ne- neither by Silver or Brands and he will have you know after the Africa Cup of Nations which is expected to go to which last June probably a little rest He's probably coming back to Everson, realistically, mid-July at the earliest, maybe. I mean, that's not a long time for him to to impress
3: the manager, is it? No, to hit the ground running. It's almost like he could be tarred by association of the money that was wasted in, in that summer as well, because, let's face it, a lot of the signings that Cumin and Walsh made then have, have not paid off. But there is something about him. It's, it's that mystery element, isn't yeah. it, that you, you really want to see him see him over here one thing you've got to say is if the worst comes to worse you'd imagine Everton would recoup more than the 7000000 million they've paid so the fact that he's had these two seasons away he's got a lot of goals in Belgium and yeah as B rightly said Turkish division is probably six, seven strongest in Europe but it is with a, a, a large club in Galatasaray and he's playing Champions League football my concern is uh, again I spoke to a, a Turkish journalist for another podcast we did and I, as an I Evertonian asked about yeah. Uh and He said that he's more left-sided. He said he may play through the middle (laughs) for Galatasaray because they're really struggling for a striker. But he said where he's performed best this season and scored most of his goals is on the left side. And probably... But that's only one person's perspective. He sounds like, as Dave said, an inside forward. And Mm. a, a lot of those players can play both sides and go differently. My concern... Is, is he going to be anything different than what we've yeah. got?
0: But, does, does he improve us yeah. vastly in that area? Yeah.
3: Yeah. But he's scored a lot of goals, hasn't he? Yes. That's what Everton haven't got at the moment. I'm just intrigued to see him. It'd be great to see him play a couple of pre-season games, wouldn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah. Judge
0: ourselves. Um, wasn't actually initially on the agenda, but the lads will be fully aware. Another loan player this week is uh, uh, coming to the news, just today actually. Um, Luke Garber is obviously on loan at Oxford Preno and Carl Robinson, uh, Scouser, the manager down at Oxford, has actually said that Luke now needs to change position and become a wide man, a left winger. Was, awesome. He was pretty upfront and and, and and fairly robust in his comments. It wasn't critical necessarily of Luke, but he, he was sort of saying to protect his frailties, yeah. which you referred to as defensively, I so think. So we can't defend. You know, he needs to, <laughs> which he, needs to for perhaps, the he needs to <laughs> perhaps move further up the pitch. Um, I have wrote the, this week's Royal Blue column on Luke, um, and, and I've sort
1: of said, I don't think Evertonians can get the head round why it's gone wrong. No, you- it's it's a strange one because you know the, the lad clearly had some quality. Um, I remember the row when Everton signed him at the time. You know, so Leeds felt that they'd been absolutely you know robbed blind. You know, they were absolutely appalled at the uh, the, the figure Everton eventually paid for him, and he looked like he was you know a Leighton Baines heir apparent. You know, and that. Was it 2014, 15, yeah, or Euro 15, 16? Yeah, 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 when he um, and yeah. he made a handful of appearances and looked like he had all the attributes—you know, a, a lovely left foot, a great ability to, you know, sort of ping a good quality cross in. He's doing it in Europe, good, 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 well, yeah, yeah. Good, good, good set piece deliveries as well. So, you know, where it's gone wrong is clearly, you know, defensively he's not up to scratch, which is why he's not been getting as many games as he ought to, which is why he's now playing, you know, so sort of where he is, but. correct me if I'm wrong, is he 25, 26 now?
0: He's He's, uh, 25 and actually, um, as as I mentioned in in the column, uh, he's actually
1: by two months older than Luca Dean. Right. So, you know, to, to me, that seems like a, a bit late in the day to be trying to reinvent yourself as a different type of player. And if anything, it sounds like Carl's being quite cute there and he's just trying to attract a few suitors out there and saying, you know, so look, this guy's got qualities elsewhere. Whether he's got the ability to, you know, forge a career for himself at Everton in the Premier League, I'm doubtful, you know, certainly not at this stage of his career. Which is a shame because, you know, so clearly there was something there that never quite worked out. But it, it's been a theme ever Everton, you know. So in recent times, that players that initially make a real bright impression, Brendan Galloway is the other one that I always had high hopes for. Who I always thought looked like he was, you know, so sort of a talent in the making, and uh, it, it just fell away. So why they don't quite, you know, so sort of hit the ground running, I don't know. Tyus Browning was the one who maybe didn't have quite the same, you know, so sort of hopes for because defensively he was always, you know, so yeah. highly regarded, but the quality was lacking at the other end of the pitch, you know. So and you got you have to have both if you're going to be a top class, you know, so sort of Premier League player. But these players, you know, sort of come in, had a little sniff of it and not quite been able to develop. I think Luke Garber, I think, well, I know for a fact because I was asked the question this morning, eight games he played, you know, in the first team Um, and always looked like, you know, there was a bit more to come but didn't, you know, sort of press on. And it just underlines, you know, sort of how difficult it is to become, you know, sort of a Premier League regular. You can't just come in and make a bright impression. You've got to be consistent and you've got to do it, you know, sort of time after time after time. And then season after season, clearly he wasn't capable of doing it. And uh, I, I can't really see him, you know, sort of making a career out of it at Everton, hopefully for the lads somewhere else. When, when he got the new contract in
0: the summer of 2015, a five-year deal, it was... Widely regarded as good work by Everton because he'd been weeks away from his contract running out. He could have yeah. left uh, for nothing. Um you, you know, did you ever have any concerns that it, you know, actually the
2: promise that we were seeing was, was would not be backed up? No, not nothing like this. He was very highly right, rated at the time. No, you could say maybe it was wild speculation, but I remember it um and the gossip columns, it he was even an audacious bid from across the park for him uh, yeah. at one point around that um, that summer. I think Mr. Summer um just before he signed a new contract, yeah. Um, they Liverpool were in need of a left back, and you know, they casting an eye across that the park, sounds, and sounds like go got, it sounds like he's
1: got a good agent.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe that's what it was. Yeah. But at the time, yeah, he he'd been solid enough, he'd been decent enough when when he played. And it was like, again almost this embarrassment of riches. You had Leighton Baines, this great left back, had these two. Young, as you said, the parents vying to to succeed him, and it certainly looked like that the future was bright yeah, at Evan at left back. Um, and I don't I don't think he's actually um, played for the first team since he signed that contract. He's been loaned out to a, new, a number of different clubs. I mean, we were disappointed at the time. I think they didn't actually get a Premier League club that summer. Yeah, he ended yeah. up going Fulham, was it? Right. Um, yeah, and he sort of dropped down and down since. So it's it's real shame. That I don't think he's had any. Awful injuries or anything in that time, so it, it it is. It's a real it's a real head scratcher because he should be at the peak of his powers now. Will,
0: really, are you are you disappointed that it hasn't worked out in that respect?
2: I'm not particularly
3: surprised. And now you, you never judge your player off one game, but I actually seen Luke on one of his loan spells. he went to QPR. I think it was the 2015-16 season. he were playing Blackburn away, and Blackburn had a right winger called Elliot Bennett. And if you've, anyone who's listening has ever seen him, he's just a pretty. Just, average but good to average like uh, a yeah. championship winger and he, he tore him to pieces he mm-hmm. was left back that night and he actually got dragged off I think the stats uh, the records were show within half an hour Blackburn were 2-0 up and I was really concerned because he looked like a defender who couldn't defend a bit like Moreno at Liverpool you know like you wonder how he's actually got so far back when he, he, he clearly was better going forward and again it's harsh to judge him on that in isolation But then you look at the other loan clubs he's been to and he's he's never really kept a place down. So there's obviously talent there, the fact that he keeps on getting these other loan clubs. But when I read your piece from Carl Robinson, it kind of struck a chord really. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if he's a left back, which is quite surprising because when he did play, as the lads have said there for Everton, he, he looked pretty good.
0: Speaking of left-backs, Kieran Dow left wing back this week for Sheffield United.
1: Has he been reinvented already? I don't know. I mean, he clearly has, you know, sort of quality to deliver. You know, sort of, you know, balls in, you know, from that flank. Uh, It's not really worked out for him. You know, so where he's played as a number 10 or as a midfielder, I think the best spell he had, Nottingham Forest, they absolutely adored yeah. him there. And, you know, so they, they wanted to, you know, take him permanently. And again, Everson, one of those players that thought, well, there's, you know, a player in the making here. Let's not make a rash decision and let him go just yet. Uh, but left wing back's a strange one because, you know, Dowell does seem like, you know, he has the ability to to make a career as a number 10, if not at the absolute top level. Mm-hmm. You know, so certainly, you know, sort of championship level at the very least. Um, another player who's a little bit longer in the tooth than you think. I think he's about 22, 23 now and you expect him to be playing regular Premier League first team football. You know, so if you do have the ability, maybe, you know, we will, we'll see something that, you know, Silver sort of we hadn't seen previously in this position. I'm just trying to think of players that, you know, so have moved around and changed positions. Uh, thinking of David Unsworth was a guy that started off as a centre-half and then sort of moved out to, to left-back, although he even played midfield and up front on one occasion, I recall. Uh, so, you know, so players do... You know, so change positions, you know, so late in life, but it's not not common. You, yeah. know, you don't see it happening very often. Um, let's just see what happens. You know, so see see if you know something unveils itself to us that we've not <laughs> previously seen in here in the.
0: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Speaking of a player now who wanted to leave the football club in January, address uh, a guy, obviously. It was made very clear he wished to go to Paris Saint-Germain. The club rejected two offers, including one very late on deadline day. Uh, and B, uh, yeah.
2: he's been speaking in France today, we believe. Yeah, um, uh, apparently it's a exclusive interview for uh, L'Equipe uh, tomorrow and a uh, little snippet has come out and he talks about his disappointment at the dream move to Paris Saint-Germain uh, not coming to fruition, but he thinks it might not be over yet. Um, he's basically said that he's... he's Going to do his best to, to to play for a move this summer, and he he's seen that these elk of club, as he described, that these uh, big European teams are now interested in him, and um, he he's all for trying to fulfil that that um, move come come the summer. I mean, it's classic, isn't it? Um, um, breaking the fixtures and uh, speak to uh, overseas oh, people. Cool. yeah and, uh, think that um, they won't. You know this will never go back to, uh, to to England it's in French um, uh, um, yeah but, um, yeah, but it, I, I can imagine uh, if I was Marco Marco's been very um, kind about Adrissa and said you know he's going to be focused on Everton again now you know deal didn't happen so you know knuckle down and think about the blue so I can't imagine he'd be too um, pleased uh, reading comments like this. That's
0: a good point, Willow. Yeah, if, you know, thinking it on that side of things, Marco, as Chris rightly says, has is, is, obviously defended the player, but has been very much no. He's he's been very professional and look, we we, we totally take that and, and accept it, but. This marker won't be overly enthused, I guess, will he to hear to see this interview's come out?
3: I imagine it's pretty unauthorized, isn't it? As well, I can't imagine they've the got through the <laughs> <club laughs> <of> sanction <laughs> this one. they? they? Mm. Uh, yeah, it's you were quite great in the words, you know. I you never like Lukaku had so much history for this, then you know, actually just speaking so openly about how he wants to move to a top European club. And it, I had a lot of sympathy for him because I did think that is a dream move to go and play with Paris Saint-Germain. You've seen how well they played without two of the star players in midweek against Manchester United. He may well have been playing in that game. So I had a sympathy for him. But I just wish, just stay quiet, you mm. know, knuckle down, do exactly what you've said you're going to have to do in that article, prove why Paris Saint-Germain wanted you in the first place. And if you do that and play even better, I suppose there's every chance They'll come back in. But I just don't know why I have to do it. And at the end of the day, it wasn't Everton's fault. If Paris Saint-Germain would have offered 35000000 million, he'd probably be there now. It's just that they didn't value him in the same way that Everton valued him. I just wish he would stay quiet.
1: <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's disappointing. You know, you don't want to hear players actively, you know, sort of advocate for a move away from Everton Football Club. But it's also difficult to criticise a lad for being honest, you know, so he's being quite upfront about it. Um, I suppose it, if you're the, if, if, on the flip side, I'm just playing devil's advocate yeah. preno, you don't have to do the interview. No, you, yeah, exactly. You could, but equally, he, he does want to move. Yeah, and I He's trying to keep it alive out there. What you can say in his favour is that since the move um, fell apart, and you know his groin strain miraculously cleared <laughs> up, and he was uh, included in the first team, his attitude's been top class. You know, his performances have been very good, and there's absolutely no doubt whatsoever that you know he's, he's playing. If not for the shirt, you know, or maybe he is trying to play to get away, I don't know. Uh, but his performances have been good, and you can't knock that at all. That's all you can ask for, really. You know, if he's going to play to try and secure a move to PSG, Everson will benefit because we'll get good performances from him. And we've said in this room before, we've argued about whether, you know, Everton should let him go or should keep him. And I think I was very much an advocate of accepting the, uh, the money because I think we can do better than Garner at a man at his age as well. I think he's 29, he as is. he? You know, so. You know, so maybe the time was right to start looking for other options. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's nothing to get too you know so wound up about. You know, we could have done without it, but equally, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Um, Bees is
0: interesting. You mentioned it in your response actually, because the perceived wisdom from France it, it, towards the end of the month in, in January was that this is a one-time only chance yeah. for, for Ghana, mm. um, and that in the summer PSG would have the time and perhaps shuffle the resources around and go for somebody yeah. in come better, perhaps younger, but. From what Guy's saying, he's actually now thinking that there might be a glimmer of hope for him and that he actually still may be able to force that
2: move in the summer. Yeah, because that was almost like the what, what seemed to be PSG's stance was, well, take it or leave it now. you know, This is, like you say, a, a once-in-a-lifetime we would come to summer, we might have different options, but no, I don't know if, if he's been given encouragement that they, they'll, they'll come back in the summer. He was certainly talking that way, and he, he talks generally as well, almost like, Well, if it's not Paris Saint Germain, maybe another club of that stature. I mean, there were, there were whispers, weren't there, right at the end of Arsenal and Manchester City being interested. I don't know if there's anything in that, mm. but um, certainly he seems to think that if. If it's Paris Saint-Germain, great. If not, maybe somebody else who can, I would imagine, offer him Champions League football the way he was talking.
0: Mm. We spoke about the fee that we were led to believe would have brought Everton to the table at the very least. What do you think, realistically, we could get
3: for him in the summer? I think £30 Providing he does what he's started to do already and, and play to his highest level, or maybe even play the rest of the season his best form of the season really show what he's made of 29 does go against him but again it's kind of like the Solanke effect isn't it like you know 4 million would have been different say if they would have accepted the 23 million pound bid it's just it skewed everything certainly over here for me he's if Paris Saint-Germain won him that badly if Manchester City won him that badly they have the money to pay that you know so I think Everson were I'm with Dave at if they would have got towards thirty million in January, I think I would have sold him. But I just thought it was, I just thought it was a bit of a Mickey take, to be honest. Bad timing and, and, as it was well. Bad though. timing, and I just thought, if you really want him, prove it. Yeah, you know, prove it. So I think he'd be gone in the summer, and I think Bees is spot on. I think that interview, he's not just talking about PSG there; he's talking about a top European club. So I think he's certainly angling for that move. And if we get close to thirty, I'd be very tempted.
0: Preno, so if we do sell. Carnegie, uh would you be happy if we repl- replaced him with a player of Tommy Gravison's ilk? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Um I never had Tommy down as a midfield enforcer. Um, wonderful character, you know. So I, I, I loved watching Tommy play. Um always brings a smile to your face, you know. So sort of thinking back to him, you know, because stories about his, you know, so sort of demeanour and the training grounds and that. You know, legendary. And I, I always remember. Um, when he signed for the club, and he was clearly a bright, man, bright lad, and he tried to get the the Blues fans on board straight away. And I think it was Alan Myers who was working for the club back then, and he gave an interview to Alan, where he said that yes, I've been looking into the history of Everton Football Club, and I know you know it's all about the you know the club's wonderful history and their record goal scored the great Dean Dickinson. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, all right, fair play for effort You know, so he, you know he was trying, he was trying. Yeah. And uh, uh, what I do remember from his time at the club is that all the players that we spoke to then and they were in the days when we used to be able to go down to the training ground you know pretty much every morning and every lunchtime so you would you know saw canvas views from the players a lot more frequently than you're allowed to nowadays and to a man they all raved about the quality he had he was the best footballer at that club in terms of quality um just had you know so real football brain on him um a little bit you know so odd in his behavior at times i mean um Oh, God, uh, Baz's book, mm. where he talked about, uh, you know, this is uh, a club physio who was actually terrified to go onto the pitch <laughs> to treat him because he never knew quite how he was going to react next. Uh, he'd be screaming at him and shouting at him. Just just a, a, a bit of a one off. And then there was always that bizarre story about it when Real Madrid signed him. And uh, the suggestion was that Lee Carsley was having such a great season that they actually got the wrong man. They are actually yes. looking at the other balls, you know, sort of yeah. uh, midfielder nonsense. I mean, Tommy Gravison, you know, was good enough to play for Real Madrid. And did play for some time. Shame that you know when he came back to Everton for his second spell, he was a shadow of the player he was. Uh, just didn't show anything like the quality he'd had. But for two or three seasons, he was uh, you know so uh, a shining light in the blue firmaments. He was a decent player, and what a player that will always look back on fondly.
0: Sure, uh, our colleague uh, from the other side of the park though, uh, Ian Doyle won't mind me sharing this anecdote when uh, Ian was with the Daily Post and covering Everson pre-season in America uh, uh, Ian fainted one afternoon and, and the players were aware and he was in a hotel room uh, next to I think Tommy Gravison and they bumped into each, into each other the next day and Tommy said oh I heard you, heard you fainted Ian yeah yeah, I did yeah yeah he said oh my friend fainted and then he died six weeks
1: later
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then just left it at that and walked off <laughs> thankfully Doily is still with us by the way that, that, that sounds like Tommy
1: yeah, <laughs> c- completely um,
0: sick. Chris when you, when, when, yeah. you know Tommy is brought up. What do,
2: you, what, what do you think, first and foremost, about his time at Everton? I have actually left wanting more because Dave mentions about what a talented player was and I was looking through the book before... Tony Hibbert gives him the ultimate accolade, says he was In, in the book, uh, yeah. in the new book, Mad yeah. Dog Gravison, yeah. Yeah, um, most talented player I have ever played with ahead of Wayne Rooney. So, <laughs> I mean... Pfft to come out with something like that. Home, yeah. But the, yeah, you just felt he was capable of so much more in, in a way in that he, he was so talented and sometimes because he was a bit erratic he'd, he'd, uh, he'd make um, the wrong um, decision or he'd overplay
1: something. So <laughs> like you, getting you, a sense off on David Moyes' first game. Quite, career, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. minutes in, wasn't it, <laughs> Yeah,
2: so yeah, yeah there the, were the, the ups and downs. But um, I just, I just wonder, surely Real Madrid couldn't have signed the, the wrong player but it was intriguing that... Um, they they supposedly brought him in as a defensive midfield holding man, Mm. which was more Carsley's game. Whereas I think when people saw Graveson, they saw the bald head, they saw the fist pumps. You you could perhaps be um, misled to thinking that he was some sort of... um,
1: defensive midfield in force or something when he actually was much more of a playmaker really yeah, yeah he didn't tackle or he couldn't tackle yeah, yeah. You know, as that red card showed uh, but no he had ability to drift past players he had a great uh, you know sort of vision and he was a top class uh, penalty taker uh, you know whenever you know we got a penalty and Tommy was on the ball you were always pretty confident uh, that season the 2004-05 uh, the season where Everton finished fourth and uh, he was quite integral you know sort of everything that went on that season that was why when they allowed him to join Real Madrid in January, it was like a real, oh really, what are you doing? You know, so moments, um, but you know it, it was just that was an absolutely bizarre season to sell a player of Wayne Rooney's quality in the summer then let your influential best player go in the January and still finish fourth yeah. that was maybe mm. not quite Leicester City style miracles but you know it was still an incredible achievement what? but Tommy was like part of everything that you know happened mm. in the first half of that season mm. well, a player
2: fortunately when they did get rid of Gravison, they were able to bring uh, Mikel Arteta yes. in weren't they? so that's not yeah. bad <laughs> no, no indeed yeah. good uh,
0: we had, had a conversation with a uh, Danish um, journalist who rang me up you see, he was sort of asking me questions uh, in, in a short interview earlier. Is I think I think in Denmark they're a little bit bemused as to why Tommy Gravison is still this figure uh, that is talked about so much that somebody would write a book about him. Um, what would you have said to that question?
3: I well, haven't read the stories, so I can understand why a book about <laughs> yeah, him now. But he it was—it's just he was, was a personality around that time, and I think I don't know whether it's football as a whole now, but certainly in, in this Everton team of recent years seems to lack those kind of people you know personalities people who you really love you know and and he was that but he wasn't just like a madcap hero, as Bees and David rightly said he was a real player as well I remember one game I don't know why it sticks out in my mind but I think it was Villa at home it might have been the game when Michael scored you know he scored, 3 oh, nil. Yeah. he scored yeah, the goal yeah, yeah. with yeah. a yeah. 4 and players and he was just yeah. absolutely immense that day and like it was a really good Everton performance wasn't it apart from the, the couple of late goals back uh, maybe that's Tommy 10 <laughs> <laughs> Uh no I, yeah it's just it's the personality he brought to the team as well and I think for a number of years now Everton have lacked players like that and I say I, I didn't know half the stories that are coming out but uh, I can understand why a book's been read <laughs> by written, sorry.
0: But of that is, he, he, he goes against the grain, doesn't he, Tommy, of what, you know, with the greatest respect a lot of modern Premier League footballers are, are like in public and and, yeah. and you know, he doesn't say things that are on script he says what he
1: wants and, 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 and the like And oh totally I, I remember um, I, as I said before we used to go down to Belfield every day and uh, you'd see Tommy turn up in like this it was almost like a shoebox it was uh, I think it was a Datsun uh, uh, it was a green Nissan Micro call, was it was a Nissan Micro I mean, it was a very very small car and uh, you know you'd see I think at the time Kevin Campbell had a Bentley Turbo uh, Duncan <laughs> Ferguson D- D- Duncan <laughs> Ferguson had something very similar uh, other players had, you know, these huge Jeeps and things. And then Tommy would, like, rattle through the, you know in this tiny little car. <laughs> I remember talking to him about it once and saying, you know, so I'm not taking the Mickeys here, Tommy. I had a car very similar to myself. as well, you know, so the money you're on, I would have thought, you know, so you could afford something a little bit more ostentatious than that. And he just said, why? Why would I have a you know, so a, a car bigger? That does me. That's all I need. And that's just the kind of man he was. You know, it didn't bother him at all. And then, you know, so obviously in his, um, uh, you know, sort of post-football career, was the other story about the other, the porn star that he shacked up with as well? Mm, married, which, I believe, yeah. Uh, well married, yeah. You know, so again, you know, it's just it didn't bother him in the slightest. You know, so that that's just you know what he wanted to do. He'd go ahead and do yeah. it. He was he was a, a very very honest, single minded individual. You know, so true to his convictions, and you know that's that's something to be quite uh,
0: quite cherished, I would say. Well, according to the book, Preno, uh, it was greenness and micra, and it was his winter car, <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and, and and according to. Uh, Super Kev, who's quoted in the book, he, uh, Tommy had told him that it was great for getting in the little spaces in town. Absolutely <laughs> fair comment. So <laughs> there you have it. And, and there's also reference in the book that he didn't have overheads. He didn't like paying bills and stuff. And he he rented somebody's apartment and he was very minimal. And, yeah. oh, yeah, it's great. It, really, really uh, colourful stuff. But uh, but be just finally on Tommy, yeah. you know, and, and you mentioned, you know, the players that played with him, as much as they thought he was off the wall and, and a bit crazy, actually, he was a heck of a player when he wanted to be.
2: Oh, well, um, it was just fortunate, unfortunate, really, that he um, was in mostly until that very last season a, a struggling side because um, I know uh, Walter brought him in uh, originally, didn't he? Two, was it two, summer of 2000? <laughs> For
1: two and a half million. Yeah, it was,
2: yeah. Some signing. big overhaul of the midfield that summer um, if, I, if I recall um, I've seen a lot, a lot of changes there was it um, Alex and Yarko coming in as, as well and Nicholas Alexander and by the way just yeah. sorry to jump in there yeah. but Alex
1: and Yarko is a player that always figures in like sort of the worst Everson teams of all time and that really winds me up there because you think about Alex and Yarko when he arrived that summer you know, four and a half million that was a big deal and for I won't go overboard here, but for three or four months, he was an absolute top-class player. That great goal he scored down a spurs uh, in the 3-2 defeat, the back heel he scored in a exactly in a preseason friendly, yeah. Um, he was a player, and there was a suggestion by Walter at the time that he'd had some kind of religious conversion. Um, and they actually, you know, so he... Feared that he could injure, you know, so fellow professionals, you know, so if he carried on tackling the way in which he was tackling, and so he chose not to. And he, he, was, he was an odd character. You talk about Tommy being odd. I mean, obviously, Alex <laughs> was as well. And uh, I remember, you know, he, he then went missing after his infamous, you know, sort of Arsenal walkabouts yeah, yeah. and uh, eventually came back to Everton. And I remember uh, going down to one of the hotels on the East Langs Road to talk to him, and he was like, quite contrite and quite focused and a guy that clearly wanted to make you know, sort of go over his career again but something was missing he wasn't quite the same player uh, but certainly for two or three months he looked like a player he looked like somebody that you know, so it could have been you know, so a real valuable Premier League footballer and then you know, in true Everton tradition something went horribly wrong <laughs> but he was never quite the absolute disaster you know, he was made out to be you know, so for, he start, started off promisingly and fell away badly mm. <laughs> yeah. Right,
0: uh, we will leave it there. Thank you all very much for joining us today and thanks to the panel, uh, entertaining stuff. Uh, remember, you can subscribe, rate and Uh, reviewers on iTunes and the Acast app. And probably worth a mention as well, on February the 27th, Royal Blue goes live at the Baltic Market. You can get your tickets. uh, An evening of quiz and Q&A hosted by Alan Myers. Myself and Prenner will be on the stage with Greg O'Keefe and Michael Ball, of course, our top columnists. So uh, get your tickets, get involved. It promises to be a really good night. And thank you very much for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer.